I'm Matt Booker. I'm Dave Laird. And he did not channel his talents to narrower patterns. He wanted to be equal to the vast, babbling, spin-out sweep of contemporary culture here in the Great Concavity. Well, Matt, welcome to episode 49. Yeah, 49. It's an interesting <laughs> number. The, uh, that, that quote I, sh- I want to qualify and say is from uh, Don DeLillo. It is. And that is going to set us up for episode 49 being a little bit of a different sort of episode. Mm-hmm. You'll notice, listener, that we have no guests this time, for example. It's just going to be Matt and I for this. Uh, because something kind of fun and momentous happened last month in July, and it was that I got to come down to Austin, and I spent some time at the Harry Ransom Center, finally, for the first time ever. Uh, and I had a, a good afternoon there, and I decided that I would just sit there with Wallace's letters to Don DeLillo. And I had a blast, and you and I have both read through all of them since. Uh, I didn't have time to read all of them there, obviously, so I took tons of photos, 150 and uh, we're going to kind of go through them and unpack some of the highlights and some of the interesting points that we saw and adjacent type stuff to do with the Ransom Center in this episode. Yeah, I was really excited you got to go there because, I, you know, I'd wanted you to be able to visit yeah. Austin, not just uh, me in Austin, but come to the Ransom Center yeah. as well. Yeah, I hit all the boxes. And it's great. Yeah, it was a really <laughs> great trip. and. Yeah. You know, this is also something like I've wanted to do this kind of an episode before uh, in the past mm-hmm. uh, where we focus on materials from the Ransom Center. Yeah. And, you know, in the future, we might have a guest on uh, and we might bring in um, multiple guests to talk about specific materials. I would, you know, my dream would be able to be able to go through all of the finding aid and all of the boxes and be able to at least talk about the ideas of everything that's there, but yeah. it would be uh, almost infinite. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we're starting with something here that is a uh, very high interest mm-hmm. and it's also very discreet, you know, like we can talk about them as a set of letters mm-hmm. that are there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, after we say, okay, we're going to, do this kind of an episode where we talk about the DeLillo letters. You know, one thing I thought that would be interesting, Dave, is if if you could uh, give us your take on what it's like, give us a description of doing research at the Ransom Center. (laughs) Yeah. um, The the whole um, process. What was it like for you? Yeah. Okay. So this, this was uh, a really strange aspect of going there because you know when you think of a place that you've never been to maybe you've seen a couple pictures you have this you you formulate you construct this this uh this place in your mind out of what you think it's going to be like but it's really not predicated on anything um and so when i thought people said that they went to the wallace archive there i thought they would go into like yeah a library type building museum type building and there was a room and in that room was the Wallace archive and there were maybe some desks, but like all the papers were housed there, all the boxes, all the folders, 
and you could just go there and take whatever references you needed and, and sit at the desks and use them in this specifically designated Wallace archive room. As it turns out, that's not the case at all. And so that was a kind of funny, like, mind trip for me to, to experience. Actually, you, like, go up on the second floor of this building, and there's a huge, quite a huge library-type room with, you know, a really gorgeously adorned there's like busts of writers throughout the 20th and 21st century all over it um and in fact there's like you know there's some very nice tables around the place and you go to a computer system and you click what what single box you would like to access and then you wait a little while and then the staff brings it out to you on a cart and you can take one file at a time back to your desk space and you can open it and you can look at the materials that way but obviously we know that there's, you know, dozens and dozens of other writers whose archive is also housed there. So that was like the first kind of, uh, I guess, jar <laughs> jarring aspect of it. It was so much different than I expected, you know, just from a, like an architectural that's standpoint. The, yeah, that's interesting. I yeah. guess, I, you know, I had a different conception in that I used to work for uh, the division of libraries at NYU mm -hmm. and they have a lot of special collections and archives and so I had some experience there with the Fales library and some of their collections but even that's a completely different experience of uh, you know requesting the materials and being mm -hmm. allowed to handle them and whatnot um, and one thing that's unique about the Wallace you know, archive, we're referring to it as like a single thing, but in fact, yeah. there are about four or five different finding aids, you know, that, that tell you what's in that collection. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, there's one that's just for things that Stephen Moore has donated or sold to the ransom right. center. Yeah. You know, there's one that's just for Bonnie Nadell's collection of Wallace's mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. that she has donated or sold. Yeah. And then there's, you know, one that Little Brown has done. And then some of these letters that we're talking about are not even in the Wallace archive. They're in the DeLillo mm -hmm. archive. Yeah, typically. So what I found is that letters that Wallace wrote to DeLillo are in the Wallace boxes. But then stuff that DeLillo responded to Wallace with would be in the DeLillo boxes, which I didn't actually right. have time to go through. But there are, in fact, a few DeLillo responses in the Wallace stuff. I'm not sure if that was a result of, like, cross-contamination or what. Um but it was cool to see a few DeLillo responses as well, because I'm also really interested in those, you know. Um, you can... Well, I think that there are things that he had saved and kept in there. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how some letters ended up there and some ended up in the other thing. Yeah. They very well might have just been cataloged differently. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the Ransom Center has that at their discretion to move mm -hmm you know, things from box to box right. based on where it belongs. Mm -hmm. um, but some of this, I would say, is available online as well. Yeah. Like if you if you Google, you know, Dave Foster Wallace letters with Don DeLillo, mm -hmm. you'll find some, mm -hmm. a few of them that they have put online and oh, digitized. Yeah. yeah. Another cool thing that I learned when I was there is that you can access their, um, like, library database for the Ransom Center, like, from any computer, I think. And you can right. look at what boxes they have of, you know, any author's archive that they house there. And you can look at what kind of specific stuff is in each box and folder. So if you're mildly interested in what they have at the Ransom Center, you can just find that out for yourself online, which I had not known before. So that's a cool uh, discovery from out of that. But you just sit there at that computer and you're scrolling through everything they have. And you're like, 
oh my gosh, I just, I just want to come for like a month here, eight hours a day and just sit and read, you know? <laughs> so most people don't have that luxury, obviously. You're, I, well, I, much more situated than anyone yeah, else. But a fair amount of time in there. Yeah. And, you know, it's coming up on nine years mm-hmm. since the Wallace Archive opened, mm-hmm. I think. So in that nine years, I mean, I, I've, I've been there a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't know that I've seen everything mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. or that I remember everything that I've seen in that nine years. But right. um, the, you know, the description of the letters, I think we've, we've kind of covered is that they're in folders and they're in various boxes. Some, like you say, in Wallace's uh, finding aid and some mm-hmm. in DeLillo's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we were talking earlier about the timeline of these, and I believe the first one is that Wallace writes a kind of half fan letter, half business letter to, to <laughs> DeLillo in 1992. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the earliest one. Yeah, and, that's the earliest one and, that I found, yeah. And then I think the last one is in 2007. I didn't see any from 2008. Yeah, that's right. That's what and I have. He too. might well have written, or they might there might have been letters in two thousand eight mm-hmm. or emails. Yeah, honestly, I'm fascinated. But, yeah, uh, I don't know if Don DeLillo does email. Yeah, uh, you kind of get the Wallace sense throughout did. the letters that Don DeLillo um, he's a typewriter is a man, typewriter man all the way through and through. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll come back to that first letter because I think it's super interesting. Yeah, actually, absolutely. But I I, I want to tell our listeners that. We are not going to be reading whole letters. That no. These are still under copyright from the Wallace estate, and yep. we are not actively seeking permission to reprint them even in audio form. Mm-hmm. So we are going to talk about the ideas in the letters and paraphrase some things mm-hmm. and uh, not going to be reading directly from the letters. Unfortunately, if you want to come and spend some time with them. Like I say, you need to do that at the Ransom Center. And Mm -hmm. on that note, I'll put in a quick plug for our conference next year in Austin, Texas. Put it on your calendar. June, I think it's four, five, and six. It is. uh, In Austin, Texas at the Ransom Center. And, you you know, come a day early, stay a day late, and you'll have the opportunity to to go into the reading room and... uh, fight over which boxes people are requesting <laughs> yeah that's gonna be, be a lot ultimate mayhem Wallace <laughs> people there yeah no kidding um, yeah one thing that that when you show up there you're given kind of a waiver that that talks about some copyright stuff that you you know you will not reproduce you're allowed to take photographs of the material for your own records but you're not allowed to reproduce them uh share them in any kind of like internet type way um, so we obviously we want to be extremely respectful of that here uh, with this episode and we don't want to reproduce anything, you know, because that's um, that's that's a no, no, that's a no. <laughs> but I think but, we can speak generally about them and some of our impressions. Um, right. And, yeah. you know, the the first thing that comes to mind, uh, you know, I have a lot of questions while I was going through this, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's been a, attempts when. Uh, Dave, Dave and I first met at the 2015 David Foster Wallace conference in normal Illinois, Bloomington. I guess it's really a normal, but, uh, and Stephen Byrne was the keynote at that speaker and he Mm -hmm. spoke, his keynote address was about, um, 
the letters of David Foster Wallace and yeah. correspondence. And so I want to give a quick kind of, you know, we talked about timeline stuff. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Wallace as a, a correspondent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a pretty unique correspondent in that he came of age before computers were ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a late adopter of email. And we're lucky in this regard that he wrote tons of letters that people kept, you know, mm -hmm. that were on paper. Yeah. And that was his email address. Born, oh, cap, my cap. I believe. Yeah, that's one of that, them. That was my that. first yeah. <laughs> uh, conference paper. It was all about his email address. <laughs> you did a whole paper about relationship that? Relationship with email. <laughs> really? Yeah. Sweet. Send that my way. <laughs> I'll have to link to that in the show notes. It's yeah. uh, reprinted in that first collection of oh, yeah. Is that okay? cool. normal yeah. essays. Nice. Um, but Stephen Byrne had a pretty uh, interesting kind of uh, structure for his, his book of letters, which unfortunately I don't think the estate will now ever allow him to publish or right. reprint, uh, which is too bad for us, mm -hmm. but... Uh, you know, it, it, he still was able to give us a lot of information in that keynote. And I took some pretty furious notes. This is, again, four years ago, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 2015. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting is that he broke down Wallace's career as a correspondent into like three different phases. And in that timeline, the first phase was kind of Wallace as an apprentice. And, mm -hmm. you know, he wrote to um, DeLillo in 1992. This is before Infinite Jest is published. He's yeah. still working on Infinite Jest. Yeah, pretty early um, stages too, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Yeah. But the, the phase of him writing to kind of older writers that he looked up to, um, you know, DeLillo was part of that. But he also had correspondence with David Markson. And, you know, even in the, the late 80s, early 90s, whenever um, Wittgenstein's Mistress came out and he wrote that long essay about it, uh, he started a, co a correspondence with David Markson. And all those letters are also in the Ransom Center. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can talk about them uh, at some point. Um, but he also wrote to writers like um, Richard Ford and Tobias mm -hmm. Wolfe. And some of his teachers who were professors at the University of Arizona, um, including Richard Ellman, who was kind of a literary scout slash agent slash teacher at the time. Uh, this is 1986 or so, mm -hmm. late 1985 uh, into 1987, 1988. And, uh, you know, the Paris Review just published this thing about his correspondence with this woman named Susan Barnett. And in there, it's mentioned, you know, that Wallace's letters to Elman were sold at Sotheby's, um, I think in 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Um, so the Elman fits into this phase where, you know, pretty much up until about 1991, 1992, um, Wallace was writing to older sort of writers that he looked up to that mm -hmm. he considered masters and asking for advice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wonder in there if he ever wrote to Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. I'm not um, sure about that actually. That's a question mark for me. Yeah. I honestly don't know if there are any of those letters and we'll 
maybe one day we'll find out in the Cormac McCarthy archive. Mm-hmm. Um, I also th- slightly recall Stephen Byrne mentioning that maybe he had written to Kathy Acker. Mm. Um, you know, we should follow up with Stephen Byrne and get him to, if he could, mm-hmm. talk about this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are other writers that he admired. You know, a part of me wonders, did he ever write to Thomas Pynchon? Yeah, well, um, Pynchon comes up a little bit, especially in yeah. the later letters. I, yeah. that, I would and be fascinated. P- part to of me wonders if there are Pynchon DeLillo letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, totally. <laughs> and, and, you know, both of those guys still living, yeah. there could be writing letters to each other right now. That is possible. Is yeah, crazy idea. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> it's pretty exciting, I think, for literary archivists and for literary scholars to contemplate the you know, what's still out there. And I think there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, the next phase of his career that, that um, Byrne defines is after Infinite Just comes out, most of Wallace's correspondence actually shifts to his contemporaries, you know, people who are yeah. writing and publishing the same time as he is. Most of that is uh, Jonathan Franzen, mm-hmm. who we'll talk about more. Um, but also <laughs> in there are some letters to... William T. Volman, mm-hmm. to Richard Powers, to Jeffrey Eugenides, and I think Stephen Byrne also said to Carol Maso and Mary Capanegro. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't read Mary Capanegro, I think she's a super interesting experimental writer, and hmm. uh, she deserves more attention. And I would love to know <clears throat> if she and Wallace were correspondents, if anyone has seen those letters or has done any research on that. I'd love to know more about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but if he's still at the same time, we should say carrying on correspondence with Don DeLillo, mm-hmm. you know, for almost the rest of his life. Yeah, totally. I didn't number how many letters there. I didn't count them, but um, I'm going to do a quick guess. So there's probably like 30 ish pieces of correspondence in there. Uh, give yeah, or take. I, I, Per side, maybe. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say because some of the the yeah. Wallace ones are kind of like fragments. We'll talk yeah, about that too. Yeah, totally. Some of them are like one um, or two sentences. Yeah. And then Byrne also identifies into going into the two thousands and the early two thousands is that Wallace himself, after Infinite Jest comes out, after supposedly Fun Thing comes out, after Brief Interviews, Brief interviews comes out, yeah. he becomes the older writer. Right. Who younger writers are writing into him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's pretty interesting for him to be on the receiving end of that admiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, he named letters from uh, Dave Eggers, from Zadie Smith, mm-hmm. from Arthur Bradford. And uh, I would, you know, the Eggers and Bradford were kind of in that McSweeney's crowd, as was. Yeah, marginally Zadie Smith. But, right. Uh, yeah. I would put in some more names in there who I know of younger writers who have corresponded with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be also this guy who I've emailed with before named Mac Barnett. Mm. And he's a children's writer, but oh, he yeah. was a student of Wallace's at Pomona. Mm-hmm. And I think there are several of those who were students of Wallace's who became um, somewhat successful mm-hmm. and Mac is super successful hmm. uh, and he's, you know, a full-time writer. He's won a bunch of awards and he's written this ton of children's books. Um, and I'd also put in that group now, um, Brandon Hobson, 
who wrote a letter to Wallace in 1993 mm-hmm. as a struggling writer and got a pretty good response from Wallace. You know, Wallace didn't have a lot of fan letters in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Brandon himself is a successful writer and was a finalist for the National Book Award last year with Where the Dead Sit Talking. Whoa. So, okay. Uh, Brandon is That's cool. uh, quite a success story now and is a teacher, assistant professor at New Mexico State, hmm. um, where another uh, young writer used to teach, an acquaintance of mine named Evan Lavender Smith. And Evan Lavender Smith brought Wallace out to New Mexico State in 2006 mm-hmm. for a reading where this is if you've ever heard the story wallace read from um a section of the fogel section of the pale king where the father is sort of killed in a horrific subway accident and uh (laughs) he was told after that like maybe don't ever read that part again (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that sounds about right um, um, but I think Robert Boswell was there maybe from uh, from Texas and his, his pal from Arizona, uh, hmm. Antonio Nelson. So, you know, we're putting a lot of names out here in these categories, Dave, but I think that there are tons of other writers who he corresponded with briefly. I mean, can you think of any other names? Oh, I'm just going to try and rack my brain to like, what was it, July, like 15th or something I was there um none? oh I just thought of one okay and, I'm sure <laughs> whenever Save the me. Wallace Save uh, me, no well, sorry I, I interrupted your your train of thought but I didn't have a train me. to begin with it's fine <laughs> <laughs> well I just remembered that whenever the Ransom Center acquired the archive of Corrigesson Boyle T. Corrigesson Boyle and mm-hmm. um a couple years ago I I went looking through that fine date and there was a letter from David Foster Wallace mm-hmm. and I was like, huh, I want to see what this is. And I think it was a letter from when Wallace was at the Sonora review and uh, his MFA program at Arizona. And he was writing to ask him for a free book. Huh. And so there's a <laughs> lot of that in the letters from Wallace, uh, especially in the eighties and nineties when he would write to Markson, when he'd write to, uh, Stephen Moore, it was often like, hey, uh, I, I can't find my copy of that. Could you send me one if you get that? Or like, I'll promise I'll return it. Or you know, Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a lot of just getting free books. Yeah, so, well, so, I some mean. Some of the letters not super interesting. Right. We're a bit guilty of that, too, um, contacting people like Bloomsbury Academic and like, hey, we see you have four new Wallace titles. You want to, uh, we'd be happy to review those <laughs> if you like. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little different. I mean, I think sure. honestly, they're getting publicity out of his, it. He was interested in that because books books are expensive, and yeah. if you can get them for free, why not? Yeah, especially some of these academic books that cost like upwards of a hundred dollars. Like, yeah, free one of those seems good. Thank you. But um, this uh, this list I was saying of like the different phases, mm-hmm. him as an apprentice, yeah. him kind of uh, as a genius at the top of his powers. Mm-hmm. And then kind of in his emeritus phase where he's yeah, the, the elderly the fish. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, what that leaves out, what that does not include is the letters that he wrote to his close friends mm-hmm. like Mark Costello, yeah. Corey Washington, 
the letters that he wrote to his family, like his sister and his mom, mm-hmm. uh, his girlfriends, mm-hmm. his fans. You know, there's tons yeah. and tons of fan letters out there. Yeah, we get folks emailing us sometimes talking about some of the correspondence that they had with him in like, yeah, the 90s or whatever. That's cool yep. to hear about. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, I think that he wrote practically everyone back. Yeah, that um, is really astonishing. I think that's and, there's something about that in the biography and I remember reading it and just being like really like really surprised and delighted by by that, you know, the generosity of someone of his stature like responding to every letter, it seems pretty crazy. Well, not just that, but sometimes people, you know, random strangers would write in and be like, "Hey, can you sign my book and mail it back to me?" and <laughs> I think Bonnie told a story about him going to the post office on like, you know, two days before Christmas and like oh, yeah. everyone's trying to mail Christmas gifts. <laughs> right. And, you know, have to wait in line for an hour and like him waiting in line just to mail back some random strangers signed book. I remember you know, hearing Christmas. that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we're focusing not on those letters, you know, that are more business like, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of letters in the Ransom Center to that are to and from translators editors agents Mm -hmm. colleagues yeah even some of his students letters um you know what i think we're interested in and what stephen byrne was interested in is those letters to and from other writers yeah and uh you know especially with delillo who he saw as a mentor and someone he could trust and someone he could go to for advice Mm -hmm. uh you know i think they have a super probably the most interesting relationship of all of his correspondence outside of maybe Jonathan Franzen. Hmm. So you're saying um, I picked the right boxes. I think you did. Yeah. I, and, and I think that's why they've, like I say, they're high interest in that. Yeah. A lot of people have yeah. been interested in these, these letters because yeah. they are so um, meaty. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of depth to them. Yeah. And I think too, like if you are somebody who likes the writing of David Foster Wallace, it's, there's a pretty good shot that you are also going to be a huge fan of Don DeLillo and vice versa. Like they're of, they have a very different writing style, you know, on the, in terms of like sentence on the page type stuff. But I think they're really interested in a lot of the same big questions, you know, like their, their themes are very similar and you can just tell, like if you read them side by side, like these guys are going to go out for dinner and have, a, a wildly interesting and captivating conversation, you know. Although so, I think they only met twice. Yeah, and, and that's something that's that a we'll, we'll see in the letters. Yeah, totally. And, uh, that's a and Wallace has some side effect. Yeah, and there's a, we'll get to it specifically, but there's such a great part where he tells Don that like seeing him in person kind of ruined it for him, like ruined the persona of the author that he had built in his mind, constructed of Don DeLillo. And now he sees words coming out of his face and, you know, the way he tilts his head and stuff like that. And it kind of like killed it for him in a way. And I, yeah, that's, that's I, And see that. that, that was a bunch of crap to me. And I, I felt like, I felt like <laughs> that's kind of like, you know. Yeah, that's possible. I, I don't know, man. There's, there's a lot going on there. I mean, Wallace mm-hmm. definitely like just socially awkward, could be sure. uncomfortable in those kind of situations where it's like you know don't meet your heroes that's a common thing but right yeah uh he did he did meet him mm-hmm. uh and i don't uh, we'll get to that but sure <laughs> uh i i don't know i don't know how much i believe that or yeah. that you know he's he was 
brown nosing in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, but the first letter, you know, what I want to say with, with Franzen is that Wallace uses Franzen's connection to DeLillo yeah. to, to kind of insert himself into a letter and that, um, in the letter, the first letter he writes to DeLillo, he's, he has this funny image. It says that he saw a signed copy of Libra under a discreet spotlight in Franzen's home <laughs> and, and almost fell over. Like, how do you know Don DeLillo? And kind of um, freaked out that like, oh my God, you've actually met him. Mm-hmm. And Franzen's like, oh yeah, I've written him letters. He writes back, you should write to him. Yeah. And... Um, you know, they were both, I think Franzen and Wallace were both living in Syracuse at the time. Like mm-hmm. I say, this is yeah. 1992. Yeah, June and, 92, you know, letter one. Mary Carr is still there. Um, and he's, you know, writing Infinite Jest. And uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, Dave, where he says, I think on the second page of the letter, he says something about that he's already written um, a piece that owes a debt to Endzone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that's obvious, this is the eschaton piece, right? Like, yeah, that comes up later, too, where he basically says that he f- he feels like he maybe plagiarized like the essence of <laughs> of one of the scenes from it with eschaton. Um, but yeah, but clearly we'll DeLillo didn't think so. I mean, he, yeah. he made it completely his own, but yeah. he uses that as a sort of uh, business reason, like I say, to change it from a fan letter of like, hey, I'm not just some unknown writer. Right. I'm actually contacting you because, you know, I can send you the proofs of the manuscript whenever it's it comes out or mm-hmm. whatever, and you can check it to make sure that it's okay with you. Yeah. Um, I just think he kind of manufactures that a little bit because it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it owes a debt to it, but you don't actually need to run it. But I mean, what would Delillo say? Like, oh no, you're using my idea. That's mm-hmm. it's not even close to the same thing. I don't think we'd be where we are in. Uh, American letters or world literature at all if every writer had to you know solicit the permission of the writer before them that they're kind of like loosely taking an idea from and like riffing right. you know like we wouldn't be very far if that was the case so yeah it's it's pretty funny that he does that there is a very funny line in the first letter where yeah it comes out that Franzen contacted DeLillo first and had the hubris to send him an unsolicited copy of one of his own books. <laughs> like, here, Don, in case, you're, in case you need some extra reading material, here's one of my books, which is like, I mean, for you and me, like, we only would just laugh at that, right? We've talked about friends and on the show before a little bit, and uh, it, it struck me as very funny. <laughs> it, it did strike me as very funny, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing that, uh, also struck me is that this being in 1992, I sort of think of this as one of the golden periods of Wallace's life, yeah. even though he was having a lot of uh, problems with Mary Carr and, and pretty bad relationship. And mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of addiction he, stuff around this time as well. No, no, no. He's clean. He's out of the... Oh, this is after. Okay. AA, okay. Yeah. He's out of... Well, the yeah. Still, still living with addiction though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's actually one of the best periods work wise Mm -hmm. in that he's not teaching and he is just living in this little tiny apartment in Syracuse where Mm -hmm. it's freezing cold Mm -hmm. and there's nothing else to do except for like stay inside and read and write. Yeah. And 
I kind of get that sense from these early letters is that Wallace as you know, he's always at the height of his lexical powers, but especially when he's writing infinite jest mm-hmm. and he's in this little apartment yeah. and you know, he's, he wants to impress Don DeLillo. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. I mean, you kind of have That's, to on the first letter a little bit, right? right. If you want to get a, a response and start a dialogue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that that's, uh, you know, the, that's a really special letter as are, you know, a lot of these earlier ones where he's trying to establish himself as someone worthy of mm-hmm. DeLillo's time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another thing I noticed in this first letter is that he, you can kind of see a couple of other little influences leaking out in this letter and that he mentions um, Manuel Puig yeah. twice. Yeah. He says that Don like has informed his heart and his work and inspired him as a writer more than any other, except for maybe along with Manuel Puig. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that's interesting because Mm -hmm. the Puig doesn't get enough credit as, uh, like Wallace clearly took the, the ellipsis, the dot, dot, dot in quotation marks Mm -hmm. from him. Right. Like that was, that was a Puig thing. And other people had done it before, but Wallace admitted several times, like, no, I saw that in a Puig book, and I, I just completely copied it. Right. Um, yeah. So I, you know, Lucas Thompson. When we had him on the show, we talked about Puig a little bit with him. Yes, that's and right. There is some good analysis in Lucas's book called Global Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, f- I feel like there should be more, especially of this kind of key period where he's writing to Don DeLillo, but mentioning another writer, which is kind of like taboo. Like, <laughs> like you're, you're my favorite, but also <laughs> next to my other favorite. Who's this person? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and cool. he also does that with DeLillo's books at one point where he's like, you know, Libra is my favorite, but I can't really read it right now because I'm writing my own thing. I don't want it to inform me. Or he said, you know, he wrote a thing about LBJ, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't say he wrote about LBJ, but he wrote about a thing about LBJ. And he's like, I can't, I can't read it anymore. Mm -hmm. He's like, parts of Ratner's star inspired me. Parts of Americana Mm -hmm. or Americana is my favorite, which is like probably not a compliment to DeLillo because it's his (laughs) first book. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know, but then he kind of like says like he has favorites of yours, but parts of it. And I was like, <laughs> that's kind of taboo as well. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He I front loads. I, I would say that to a writer. Yeah. Like, I liked part of your novel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's very effusive about Libra throughout all the letters. Uh, but then as we'll get to Underworld comes out and then he, you know, that sends him into the stratosphere, I think. Um, yeah, but he's sure. also like very positive about Cosmopolis, which we'll talk about later too, which I think is kind of like, there's some it's really good one, prose yeah. in that book. Like, like it's any a novel, but yeah, yeah I put it very low on my list of favorites. Um, so yeah. But in between there, so there's another period where, uh, so after 1992, you know, DeLillo writes him back and he, I think flips out. Um, in 1995, he writes this long letter kind of begging for advice of you know he's still finishing infinite jest Mm. he's moved to illinois um and he's still trying to figure out how to i feel like he's asking like how do i really become this great a great i want to be a great writer how do i become that and i'm Mm -hmm. you know i'm paraphrasing here but are you referring to the letter where he's like what it like what are your 
how do you overcome procrastination? What are like your writing um, habits? Like he asked him like a long list of questions like that. Is that what you're after? Yeah. yeah and okay. he also says, um, you know, I I think of the, you know, I think maybe DeLillo says at first that the novel is like a killer, right? It's a Yeah, that's killer. a good, yeah, the novel's a fucking killer is what he a says. Killer. And I think that made a big impression on Wallace and he, he recognized that. And, you know, he says to DeLillo, like, how do I, how do I deal with this? Because it's not fun for me. And yeah. <laughs> uh, DeLillo's like, you know, it's, it's not fun for me writing about these, these kind of evil guys sometimes either, uh-huh. but you know, that's what we're here to do. And he kind of encourages him to buckle down and uh, says something, you know, like, you know, let, let other people complain about uh, book tours. And, yes. And yeah. We'll complain about like what's deeper. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. That's right. Um, going back to the first letter, my favorite line. And I think I like laughed out loud in the, in the archive when I read this was that he's like, if you value your privacy as much as I assume you do, really gratified to learn that I had to go to pretty grotesque lengths to get a hold of your address. <laughs> and that, yeah. and I kind of wonder like, is Delilah's address still the same because it's verbatim like in these letters. Well, and it's all over the internet. Like those letters yeah. are yeah. published right. verbatim all over yeah. the internet. Right. And I think even someone on Reddit who posted these letters, mm-hmm. um, said like, Holy crap. Is that still like yeah. Delilah's address? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to go stalk Don Delilah? Like that's pretty. <laughs> right. Yeah. That would be, that would be weird. Um, Larry McCaffrey also is mentioned in the first letter, um, which is fun because, you know, this is before the McCaffrey interview. He's called a very chatty compadre of Tom LeClaire. Uh, this is a year before their, in, the big interview, the 1993 interview that's so but see there i feel like he's just dropping names to try to get cred <laughs> he's definitely um trying to align their social network isn't he? he's like connecting the dots like i know this person mutual people um it's kind of his in a little bit i think yeah friends and he also says the, that um speaking of uh, plagiarism that delillo should sue the slats off oliver stone yeah. for ripping off libra libra for the for jfk yeah, which I I don't yeah. I don't agree with at all. That's no, okay. that's not a ripoff of Libra <laughs> at all. But then he uses that um, to like to say like, oh, also I probably also plagiarized Endzone a bit, <laughs> <laughs> out of respect. I'm telling you this, like, not for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, which I, again I don't agree with at all. Like that yeah. he plagiarized anything, right? Uh, yeah. You know, inspired by some ideas. He's he's way on the other side of. But that that line about going to great links to get the address. I will say that like in uh, New York publishing circles or whatever, mm-hmm. that, you know, Don DeLillo's address would be extremely easy to get way back in the day. Mm. So he's sort of more so than pensions or something, I'm sure. Well, I'll also tell you that it's like even in New York publishing circles, not a great secret that oh, really? of what of what Thomas Pynchon's address is huh. and that that's. I mean, I'm he's a human being who yeah. lives somewhere <laughs> yeah. and uh, doesn't, you know, obfuscate his address of going through sending stuff to his publisher and going through his agent and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, like, right. He gets his author copies shipped somewhere. And I right. mean, he's an old guy now. And like, he does have an address and there are people at publishing houses that know it. They yeah. respect his privacy, but yeah. uh, 
even he is not the most well-known, like most reclusive human being of all time. Sure. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. He's reclusive, but someone's sending him author copies and he's getting paid and he's getting a check and everything. Right. There's this great um, line about this in, I think it's a 98 letter to Delillo, which we'll get to also, but he he talks, he jokes about like how Delillo must encrypt letters to his home address in like aluminum foil and like reroute them through mail drop boxes in briny breezes florida <laughs> like so yeah wallace Again, has some fun I, and with i'll that say too, just right? as someone who worked in new york publishing briefly mm-hmm. and knew a bunch of people who worked uh at penguin and worked on thomas pension's books it's a secret but it ain't like a hundred percent it's not like the <laughs> pentagon okay yeah sure like they're yeah. they will not kill you if you accidentally come across his home address yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and that's like the famous picture that was of the, you know thomas pynchon is like some jerk did that and like staked out his place and took you know f- paparazzi photos of everyone who came out of the building and it's like you oh, can really? do that but it's like not cool <laughs> it's not cool like even when you know you and i went to wallace's former home in in bloomington like that felt super creepy just doing that and you know that was in what 2016 <laughs> like long after he lived there and you know eight years after his death so i can't imagine doing that while someone's alive you know like speaking that takes of that a certain house, kind of gall speaking speaking of that house is that he uh buys that house or mentions that he just bought that house mm-hmm. in that 1995 letter that i'm referring to mm-hmm. um yeah it comes up a couple and, times yeah and so he had moved to Illinois uh, to Bloomington, but had not um, had not finished Infinite Jest or had not it had not been published yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, he mentions that it's next to a horse pasture, yeah. which when you go there, it's like not really next to a horse pasture. Well, it's definitely it's like, like a large enclosement, <laughs> you know, that you could see horses being in. I don't think there were when we went there, but um yeah, I, I I don't even think it was enclosed. It's not even. No, you don't think so. <laughs> it's a little bit exaggerated. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, and that's like the, that's the, possible. The movie or... of Walt, like the end of the tour, kind of exaggerates that as well. But yeah, so going there, I think, has a little bit of value. Whether mm. or not you need to stop the car and get out and walk around, probably not. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, in the uh, film, in end of the tour, there's like a huge field across the street from his house, right? Like a big yeah, open. That's, that's certainly not, not the case. It's, there's houses on the other side of the street there. Um, yeah, and there is yeah. a field next to him. Yeah, and another house behind him, and then another road. But it's like mm-hmm. eh, it's a little bit off, anyways. Yeah, totally. Uh, the other thing I'll mention about that 1995 letter is um, he mentions Mark Costello, and the reason why he mentions mm-hmm. Mark Costello is that Mark Costello had just married Nan Graham, right. who was uh, DeLillo's longtime editor. Mm-hmm. And she was in the process then in 1995 of bringing um, DeLillo with her to her new publisher, which I think she was moving to Scribner at that time. Okay. So that interestingly... She was also um, Mary Carr's editor on The Liars Club. Right. And Her name comes not... up a lot in these letters, Nan. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, that's like his best friend from mm-hmm. college, yeah. Mark Costello. Yeah, the co- co-author of him, Signifying Rappers. Uh, if you go online, you'll find like interviews with Mary Carr where she says she's the one that set up 
Mark and Nan Graham on a date. Oh, really? That's fun. Yeah, and that that was her editor, and you know she thought you know Mark Costello is a great guy. They're mm-hmm. both single, and they should mm-hmm. meet up. And so Mary Carr is the one who introduced them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, Wallace is very much like using that as like I'm part of the crew too, right? <laughs> like I'm good. <laughs> My friends best with friend Mark. in the world. He calls him in that letter, right? <laughs> yeah, it's his best friend in the world, yeah. and then. You know, he just happens to marry Don DeLillo's editor. editor yeah. It's like lucky for lucky for Dave I know. Uh, that your best friend married someone who is not just an insider in New York publishing, but like yeah. freaking legendary publisher. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So that that does come up, you know, as does the Friends and Connection. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot, uh, like you say, about almost every letter. It seems like it mentions Franzen or Mark Costello and Nan Graham. Yeah, they come um, up a lot. Yeah, John, J O N. John, right. Do you want to go through them chronologically? And, yeah, why and don't make you do note? that? Why don't you go into the, the 1993? Yeah, okay. So that opens with DD, like Dear DD, Don DeLillo. Uh, and there's a fun evolution of like playful names that Dave calls Don throughout the letters, too, which we'll get to. One later. is D squared. Right? D squared. That's my favorite one, yeah. That's that comes much later, doesn't it? I think like ninety five or ninety six, he starts using that. Maybe even um, later, yeah. Yeah, but a really cool thing out of the the ninety three letters that Wallace is applying for the Guggenheim, and he says the Teutonic thumb was down on yours truly, Guggenheim wise, <laughs> and he thanks him for for being a reference. Yes, he Don DeLille had been a reference for him for the Guggenheim, um, which that was that's a pretty cool revelation. Later in another letter, it comes up again that he's gonna he's been urged by eugenides and franzen to reapply because now he's got more cachet post infinite jest and he should ask delillo again for reference so wallace does but he's like very tail between his legs like like falling over himself to say but like if you don't have time slash will like please don't do this kind of thing well, and and what's so great about this is that it's fictionalized in the story "Death Is Not the End," about mm. the poet, right? Oh, okay, Who is the recipient of a MacArthur Genius Prize, just mm. like Wallace, but yet in a footnote, never the recipient of a John Phillips Guggenheim Award, <laughs> uh, despite multiple uh, applications. Right, and I mean, you got to think like you look at the list of people who've won a Guggenheim, mm. and it's like extremely long like much longer than the the number of people who've won a macarthur Mm. and how the hell did wallace not Not, get one with a letter of recommendation from don delillo yeah that's and i mean god knows who else he had in the application i'd love to see the application Mm -hmm. um me too he gets don delillo to write a letter and he still doesn't get it (laughs) i mean come on yeah woof yeah that's nuts um, um, one other thing about I think it's in the 92 letter or the 93 letter that he um, when he talks about uh, Libra mm-hmm. is that he he makes some allusion to the fact that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and David Foster Wallace both have three names yes. and I thought that was yeah. great because like sometimes <laughs> that's been like a subject of like a meme or a joke and it's like <laughs> he recognized that uh from day one so yeah there's a specific um there yeah there okay so there's some of the some of the letters don't have dates on them 
and it's hard to know how to exactly place them chronologically. Um, so I kind of have a section here in my notes at the end of like undated letters, but um, I assume that they try to arrange them chronologically in the folders, if that's even possible. But yeah, he says like seeing his full name in print makes him feel like Lee Harvey Oswald and Libra. Maybe that's another reason why it's like my favorite yeah. book of yours kind of a thing. Um, and he also talks about how it was like foisted on him by his agent at the time to put his middle name in because there's already a writer named Dave, David Wallace. But he was like, yeah. I was 23 at the time. If my agent told me to use the name Seymour Butts, I totally would have. Like, <laughs> he was just. And you know, you know that's funny. I've heard this thing yeah. a million times, but <laughs> if you go to the Ransom Center and you look at a lot of his early writings, even in, in college mm -hmm. or even in high school yeah, or elementary or school before he published anything with an agent, he signed a lot of stuff as David Foster Wallace. Mm. So it's okay. not like yeah. oh, everyone called him David Wallace or Dave, which they probably did except at school where mm -hmm. he was in school uh, a lot, you know, especially at Amherst. Yeah. And he he signed a ton of stuff there and wanted to be called David Foster Wallace formally. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I hear what you're saying, but yeah. I don't believe you. Yeah. And it, there's as, even as a thing about that you like Wallace. to say at the, uh, <laughs> some of his earliest stuff, you know, his schoolwork, like I say, from his very early age, he would sign as David Foster Wallace. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think some of that is like his love for his mom. Right? Yeah, and it, he's not going to say that yeah. to Don DeLillo, but like it honors his mom to mm -hmm. say Sally Foster Wallace, and like mm -hmm. you know he's he's unique like that, and he's kind of named like his mom, and I think he was really mm -hmm. proud of that. Yeah, I guess another thing to mention since we recorded last is that Wallace's father passed away. I don't think that yeah we didn't mention that. Yeah, but that, that did go around on the yeah. Um, Totally. On the social networks and people pass that around. It's really, mm -hmm. you know, our condolences to the Wallace family if mm -hmm. any of them are listening. But mm -hmm. it was really sad news to hear uh, James Wallace had passed away, mm -hmm. I think, in July. Yeah. And there's mentions, too, even in these letters, some of which I was, like, reading today even, um, about his parents, about his dad, about what his dad does for work, about how he's, like, you know, specializes in like biomedical ethics and questions of like what constitutes human life and things like that um, in the context of like some of DeLillo's fiction, the body artist specifically. Yeah. And I think there, you know, DeLillo probably was interested in a lot of those same issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, oh no, it's the play. It's the play that he says he's going to pass on to his father. Um, oh, right. Love lies bleeding. Love lies bleeding. Yeah. That's a September um, 2004 letter. He mentions in the 93 letter that he got kind of like a cushy, absurd job at ISU where he doesn't really have to teach that much. He gets to write. He doesn't have to do any committee stuff. Makes a living wage. Um, that's kind of sweet to make that sort of personal connection, having been there a few times and, you know, knowing like Charlie Harris and Victoria Harris and Robert McLaughlin, who, you know, got Wallace the job there. Um, it's, it's fun to like see those little you know glimmers that you've you've been to these places and you can, you're connecting the dots yeah i thought that was that was great too where after he settled in there a bit and the you know 1996 infinite just comes out and it's a super busy year for wallace and that he's also finishing the the manuscript for a supposedly fun thing 
mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's working on several other things in addition to teaching. He had just finished the the Lost Highway piece about David Lynch, which was about to be included in the book and about to be published in a magazine. So he had a ton of work going on in 1996, and yet he somehow finds time to read Underworld in manuscript mm-hmm. or in page proofs yep. and offer you know detailed comments, everything from copy edits to structural changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know his comments on Underworld were insane, and that's a whole nother. We could almost do a whole nother episode just about Underworld. Is um, is that in the archive do you know yeah it is oh it is, it is. okay I'm, i didn't and, see that and i i think that it's in late 1996 that uh he submits it back to delillo mm-hmm. and delillo doesn't reply until february of 1997 but you can tell that uh it seriously made an impression on don delillo that mm-hmm. that someone like Wallace had read the book so closely Mm -hmm. and offered a ton of constructive feedback. Again, Wallace was at the height of his teaching powers at this point too, right? Where he's a super new teacher at ISU and he wants to, you know, make a good impression and work hard. Mm -hmm. And he has the opportunity to, you know, review or workshop what might be Don DeLillo's like masterpiece. Yeah. And I think that he was super energized by this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when you mentioned his dad, too, that reminds me that uh, in one of the letters to DeLillo, he mentions that his dad uh, had this memory of hearing the shot heard around the world. Bobby Thompson home run, mm-hmm. um, Pafco at the wall. Yeah. And I, Don DeLillo got a huge kick out of that mm-hmm. and gave his own story about where he was when he heard oh, yeah. the, the shot heard around the world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for DeLillo scholars, like there's a ton of great, uh, material in these letters. Mm-hmm. And I think Wallace helps bring out from DeLillo. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just super impressed of how, how much he had going on in 1996. And yet he managed to read all of <laughs> Underworld yeah. no kidding, and, right? and like give comments on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's this rad part in the 93 piece letter where he's trying to figure out some kind of character connection in Ratner's star. And he's like, can you help me solve this DeLillo scholarship conundrum for 993? Like the date? Like, <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I just, Since I brought up Lost Highway, I just want to say that I found it kind of disappointing that Wallace hated the final product of lost mm-hmm, highway because mm-hmm. i actually think it's a great film like yeah maybe maybe not you know lynch's best work yeah but is it like super interesting film and like valuable mm-hmm. totally yeah and we'll get and, to this later too but is he makes some pretty disparaging remarks about magnolia by paul I thomas know, anderson i, know, <laughs> and I freaking <laughs> that love comes that like, movie. i do too i really like it I, I like almost everything that anderson does if not all he hated 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 magnolia yeah it's pretty scathing yeah. we'll we'll quote a couple of choice lines a bit later i think but it's too too harsh man it's way it's too really harsh, harsh. yeah <laughs> totally um okay third piece here we are 56 minutes in we're on the third letter <laughs> maybe this is third letter. this might be a two-part episode everybody maybe we'll cut this off at about an hour and a half and then 
release part two uh, a week later or something. Well, we'll edit this down and let you know what we end up with. <laughs> yeah. uh, if this ends up being a three-parter, who knows? Three-parter, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in these letters. Yeah. And, you know, we I, I would say now I'd love to hear for people who have spent time with them too, like what, you know, what did you find interesting yeah. about them? Let's put that out, you know, in, into the, into Twitter and like mm-hmm. a conversation and just, you know, tell us what we missed. Absolutely. But we're not done yet. Like you say, we've only been through a couple of actual letters. Yeah. And this is by no means comprehensive either. And, you know, partially because we're, we're a bit handcuffed there. We can't give too much specificity. You can't read them out loud or anything, but uh, right. we can give a kind of a sense of them. Um, so there's an undocumented date wise, just little note about Wallace mentioning a George Saunders story in Harper's 1994 September story called Isabel. And that's about it. And that's just like a piece of paper that's in this folder. So even in 94 Saunders was on Wallace's radar. I found that interesting personally. Yeah. I thought that he was trying to do uh, DeLillo a favor, Mm -hmm. you know, saying like, Hey, check out this right. This guy. Here's a recommendation. Like. Yeah, totally. And that brings us to uh, the fourth letter, May 1995. Um, he's just saying hi. There's some pretty funny, like writerly stuff here, where some familiar Wallace imagery comes out, like the dribbling infant, you know, that follows you around with, you know, neurospinal which, fluids pouring which out. Which he of stole it from Delillo and right. making ghastly noises, you know. So he's like. I hope your long thing, your your underworld manuscript, isn't following you around NYC doing that, like this uh, great concavity baby or something, you know. Um. <laughs> I also felt by this point, you know, he's a couple of years, two or three years into writing to Don DeLillo, mm-hmm. and this has got to be in the back of his mind a lot. And sometimes he kind of invents a reason to write to Delillo. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, he doesn't really have a reason, but he just like wants to write to his pen pal. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, which is totally acceptable. Yeah. Like I, I do the same. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. But uh, you can see he, him sometimes making up an excuse to write, yeah. or like yeah. not even making up an excuse to write, totally. and just sending like a Christmas card and stuff. Oh yeah, there's lots of uh, Christmas cards. There's lots of postcards. Um, yeah, this is the one that we were talking about a bit ago where he's just like, you know, mentions that his best friend in the world, Mark Costello, is marrying Nan, Graham. And then he has, he mentions like a dinner that DeLillo and Paul Oster had at Nan's very long table a couple months uh, before they like housed him in their attic to work for a little while. Um, so yeah, it's just like he's, you know, he's making those like social connections. Like here's how we're in the same kind of ether together. The same like literary stratosphere i guess you could say oh totally yeah. <laughs> and uh i think later on a couple of years after this letter uh after they've met you know wallace says this a couple times where he's like you know i i, I heard through the grapevine or whatever that you've you've maybe finished something mm-hmm. maybe you've got a new one coming yeah yeah and uh you know to me that's kind of like proof that Wallace would himself engage in a form of literary gossip. <laughs> yeah. But the way he phrases that is so funny. He's like, the grapes don't really grow out in my neck of the woods, but I've heard right. that like, and it took me like a couple of reads to be like, Oh, he's like making a joke about the grapevine. The grapevine. Like I heard it through the grapevine, yeah. even though they don't really grow in Illinois. 
But you gotta think that's that's either Franzen or yeah. you know, Nangram via, Mark via Costello, Costello yeah, totally. who are who are saying things, and he doesn't want to say like, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know, Mark Costello ratted you out." Yeah, he ate cheese you on you. And told me about like this this opus that you've just finished. Yeah, yeah. Wallace yeah. talks about like turning his own fluid dribbler into Little Brown in this letter here, this ninety-five letter, and like this was interesting. They cut. 310 pages from the fucker over winter it's still pretty long <laughs> he says <laughs> and then then the copy editor they say there's probably gonna be like another 100 pages cut and he's like he really he has this section where he kind of wrestles with like i don't want to be like a commercial slut essentially where like i'm cutting all these pages just to save this company money or because they'll make more money if it's if it's shorter and more people will read it it's like you know, these commercial reasons seem kind of dirty and irksome. Plus, also, they're, like, obviously taking a, a pretty big risk on this almost 1,100-page novel. So he doesn't want to be a prima donna and fuck them over, he says. <laughs> a, a P dot dash Donna is Donna, how he phrases it. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I think that, you know, Peach's point of view on this this whole editing process is also informs us because there are tons of letters... Mm-hmm between wallace and peach at this time and those are super entertaining yeah i want to read those Uh, too at some point and you know at the the memorial thing for wallace in 2008 Mm -hmm. at nyu you know peach quoted from some of those letters there Mm -hmm. and they were just you know hilarious Mm -hmm. the way that that wallace would defend something of uh a thing that he didn't want to cut and he really fought for a lot of of stuff that he didn't want to cut Mm -hmm. um but I, you know, like any good sort of teacher-student relationship, he did end up cutting a, a fair amount of stuff. Yeah. And you know, you see this with younger writers, right, where they get notes from an agent or an editor or a mentor, and they they ignore it. You know, they don't want to take the notes. Right. Yeah. Uh, Wallace is no exception. <laughs> well, and I think when he was younger, he didn't want to either. And I think mm-hmm. he's still young when he's writing Infinite Jest, but yeah. he matured a little bit enough where he could say. I mean, he matured a lot. He was a genius, right? But who am I to say? But you see this with writers where he didn't want to take the notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he he took the notes with Infinite Jest for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. he, he figured out what he could fight for and yeah. what was worth fighting for mm-hmm. and then what was not. And that's a very, like, cold calculating thing. And I think part of him maybe thought, oh, Don DeLillo doesn't have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think he was looking for some validation there. Like, yeah, hey, Don, you do this too, right? right. Like, you... You cut stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I, I mean, to him, Don DeLillo was this like paragon of mm-hmm. of art, you know. Who, yeah, who would never cut anything. Right. Wallace uses um, that word in some cases to paragon in yeah. reference to him. Yeah. But in fact, I think DeLillo turns out to be pretty uh, savvy and like pretty mm-hmm. pretty businesslike in his uh, approach as an author and working with an editor mm-hmm. and. Um, is not at all what Wallace imagines him to be like as an as an as a writer who is being edited. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot uh, going on there in that relationship. I think when when he asks about them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, this is the letter where he talks about buying that house, small and brick, next to a horse pasture. Uh, he likes the fact that he owns his house now. And he doesn't have to pay off a landlord's mortgage. And then he says, like, anyway, here's my address, like, for your files. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, such a Wallacean way. 
to put it. That was necessary like, before for your files. email, yeah. you know. Like oh, yeah. You had, to, you had to keep write down people's email uh, or physical addresses, have an address book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just meant specifically his use of the word like being um, just such a surfer kind of interpolation, you know, throw it in there. <laughs> like yeah, and, like and whatever for your files, and, uh, man. Like that's just your opinion. It's very big Lebowski esque. Very much. <laughs> and and DeLillo even mentions that in his uh memorial thing for Wallace, which mm-hmm. I read from at the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh and that he calls it I think Dave's plain song. Mm. Uh, the offsetting breeze of Dave's plain song words like okay then and sort of and no kidding and stuff like this. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's all kind of stuff like DeLillo would never say. Right. Know? Yeah. And then he he finished or near the end he says like this is Dave's voice American. Yep. I think right. Yep. And you were at that service. I was mm-hmm. and it was you know it was, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show or not but it was Yeah I'm not sure if you have. V- very impressive and very memorable thing mm-hmm. to have Don DeLillo go up to the microphone and the first word out of his mouth is this booming like infinity. Mm-hmm. It's like such a such a DeLillo thing to mm-hmm. say. Yeah, right? yeah. Like start totally. a sentence with a single word. Uh, <laughs> What's the biggest like thing you America. can think of, Don? Uh, infinity. Yeah. Okay, cool. Carry on. Tell us about your but, friend. I mean, uh, however, I think his was the most memorable mm-hmm. of those memorials. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the one that I go back to a lot. Yeah. I loved, you know, Saunders, Zadie Smith, Michael Peach. They all did a great job. Yeah. But I mean, having Don DeLillo up there, he's going to be Don DeLillo. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I think about the the ending of that a lot mm-hmm. where he says, not you know, another one, word. one of wallace's stories and he's meaning good old neon Mm -hmm. ends with this half sentence of not another word Mm -hmm. and delillo says but there's always another word Mm -hmm. there's always another reader to regenerate these words Mm -hmm. the words don't stop coming Mm -hmm. and i think there he's almost talking to wallace yeah dead Mm -hmm. and and really, you know, if, if Wallace dies and leaves it as not another word, and he's really one part of himself talking to the other, mm-hmm. not, you know, you keep quiet, shut up, not another word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DeLillo mm-hmm. is saying there's always another word. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And I, I think that that, like his memorial, is like amazing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hearing him say like infinity and <laughs> Dave's voice, American. Yeah, yeah, chilling. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah, if you're if you're unfamiliar with where to find these memorial letters, they're housed in a collection called The Legacy of David Foster Wallace, which is edited by Samuel Cohen and Lee Constantino. Uh, it's like one of the earlier, I would say, kind of like tertiary Wallace um, scholarship books, and it was like I think the yeah, second they, one I they, got those... ever. Way, way, Those way before. things were also, they've been published several places. They're, they that were too, also yeah. published in Harper's, yeah. and they were published in a publication online called Five Dials. Yes. Um, so you can get the whole PDF of them at Five Dials. Mm-hmm. I will say there were two speakers there who did not grant permission for their speeches to be reprinted ever, mm-hmm. and that was Mark Costello mm-hmm. and Donald Antrim. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you'll read them all except for those two mm-hmm. who gave speeches there at the memorial. But mm. uh, 
they're not included. You know, Franzen's in there, Saunders is in there, Zadie Smith, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Howard, but you're not going to see um, Donald Antrim or Mark Costello. And it's it's too bad because they had really, really good personal, mm-hmm. you know, reminiscences of Wallace. Yeah, but but uh, the, the Don DeLillo, anyways, we're getting kind of off track here, Dave. <laughs> I don't know if you want to take a break and come back. We've only made it up. We haven't even made it into the 2000s here. <laughs> Not even the, close. The letters. Yeah, I think so, I think it makes relatively good sense to um, stop now or so because I'm looking at my notes and I'm like not even quite a quarter of the way down to my like down my notes page. Yeah, I'm. I've got you know pages more yeah. of note cards and notes on. Um, mm-hmm. a lot more to talk about yeah. like at least another episode's worth yeah I'd say so Um. okay so that brings us to 1995 um, we're over an hour now so we are going to make this part one of episode 49 we're going to put it out as you will know if you're listening to this already and then we're going to record uh, as soon as we can to do a part two and finish going through the letters and the content and talk about some kind of final thoughts, final reflections that we have on them. And uh, we'll release that after we have it. So you'll get these kind of a uh, little bit scattershot. And I think that's maybe okay. It's kind of a cliffhanger. So um, we'll do the and the things that we do at the end of the show, Matt. <laughs> right. I, I'm excited to talk about this again because I think yeah. there's a lot... Um, going on in these letters Mm -hmm. and um, it's going to take us a a while to go through them all Mm. but we're in no rush we hope you aren't either Mm -hmm. and uh, you can follow us on Twitter well we will post some more thoughts there Uh, we are at concavity show Uh, feel free to email us concavity show at uh, gmail.com we're also on Instagram at concavity show Um, Maybe we'll just post a picture of Don DeLillo's head or something there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, book, book cover, maybe yeah. not a picture of a letter. Unfortunately, yeah, we can't. We can't do that. Them. We cannot do that. We will. We will go to jail. <laughs> we'll there will be no more great life. concavity episodes after that. Be locked up for life. It's a life sentence. <laughs> yeah, and of course, as always, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. And I, I really want to stress this: that uh, a big reason why we decided to do Patreon is because. You know, sometimes we travel to go to conferences and if we don't have an academic affiliation, which neither of us do any longer, that's kind of expensive out of pocket. So um, in a really palpable, specific way, the Patreon supporters helped me fund my trip to Austin to do this, to make this episode and part two. And I don't know how long that's going to take, but if there's a part three, all of that possible. So I want to say a huge and really specific thanks to our Patreon supporters and this is like evidence of, of how your money is is helping and being used. So thanks for that. And speaking of which, we have a new patron, uh, Robbie Sykes. Robbie, thank you so much for joining the team in the last week. And uh, we appreciate you so much. Uh, as always, thanks to Robin O'Neill and Parquet Courts for their art. And uh, we will talk to you guys very soon for part two of the Don DeLillo Wallace Letters. Turn on the wire.